Welcome to Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go Beyond the Numbers to find out. Welcome to Weaver's Beyond the Numbers Real Estate Podcast. I'm Rob Nowak, real estate industry tax partner with Weaver, and I'm joined as always by my partner, sometimes collaborator, Howard Altschuler, Weaver's partner in charge of real estate services. As a reminder, this podcast is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Nothing said here constitutes professional advice. If you have a question, call your accountant, or more importantly, call Weaver. You can always go to weaver.com to find all of our content, white papers, live casts, transcripts of the show, and more. That's weaver.com. Howard, new face in the studio today. Who's joining us? Well, thanks, Rob. Today, we're joined by Bruce Zaret. Bruce is one of our partners in our advisory practice who spends a lot of his time with financial institutions and real estate. What we want to talk about today is something that's very important to real estate, which deals with real estate financing. Specifically, we want to talk about interest rates, and uh, we're going into reference rate reform. So, Bruce, the question that everybody's been dying to know is, what is reference rate reform? Yeah, and that is the million-dollar question. And uh, if you can remember back in 2008 when the financial crisis happened, um, people were relying a lot on LIBOR. And Mm -hmm. if you know the history of LIBOR, it is uh, a rate that can be altered or manipulated by – it's a survey of banks, and it uses a lot of models to try to come up with a forward rate. And so – being such, uh, being such a rate that can't be manipulated, the market said, hey, we have need, need of a new, new type of rate that can be more stable and more predictable. And uh, they introduced SOFR, the secured overnight uh, borrowing rate, financing rate. And so mm-hmm. um, that rate basically is going to be based on the U.S. Treasury um, short-term repo market rates. And so it'll provide more more stability more stability and less manip- manipulation uh, into the market. Okay, I, I remember reading a little bit about the the um, scandal, shall we say, with respect to LIBOR and the rate setting and everything, which I guess prompted all of this. Um, but you said you know LIBOR was you know forward looking, um, which it would appear to me that most interest rates should be forward looking because it's a you know element of what's going to be happening in the future. So how does SOFR differ from that, and is it? really backwards looking or is it more transactional based? Well, it is. Yeah, it, it is more transactional based. We'll be using transactions in the repo market and it won't be just at one point in time. It'll be an average over a period of time. And a lot of the questions I get asked is, well, the rate's going to fluctuate because these short term rates fluctuate. And uh, banks have introduced a cap into this to where um, the, the rate won't be exceeded. And so you can basically uh, get your rate into a, a certain uh, a certain range, so it's not going to fluctuate, um, you know, uh, significantly over the term of either the, the derivative or the, the duration of the loans. It would seem to me, though, that because it's based on on actual data, um, it's going to be a more reliable rate. Is that a fair statement? It is. Yeah, that's what's anticipated. Is that this will be, um, you know, more predictable, more reliable rather than people just uh, giving their opinions or being right. able to alter where they want it to go in the market. And so, um, you know, LIBOR presented a lot of problems. And so that's why they, they needed to phase it out. 
Got it. And you, you mentioned that it was going to be based primarily on like repo rates and such. So that sounds like that's pretty rock bottom near risk-free territory. So I'm assuming it's going to be the loans we're going to see are going to be SOFR plus um, as much as most real estate people would love to say that their deal is risk-free as well. Oh, that's correct. It'll be SOFR plus. And so, um, and that plus will uh, introduce the risk element mm-hmm. into the equation as it does right now in the finance markets. It's all about risk and that's, that's where your rate's going to be based on. So this will be SOFR plus. And again, in order to create some stability in that, we're going to, the banks, there's, I think, 16 to 20 banks right now that have a cap instrument. So you'll be able to cap, um, you know, cap the top of that rate. Like any other variable rate lot. That's correct. Who's compiling all that data, Bruce, that goes into SOFR? Is there a government body, a committee? Uh, where, where's that data coming from? Since it's yeah. obviously going to be based on, on bank, uh, you know, opinions, so to speak, who's compiling it? Yeah, so the Federal Reserve Board and the New York Fed, uh, the, the, the New York uh, Fed Bank, um, have designated, it's called the Alternative Reference Rate Committee. So there's a committee, and it's comprised of primarily private sector um, uh, organizations from banking, uh, investment funds, insurance, uh, pretty much the financial market is represented they will uh, they are dictating how that rate gets rolled out. And the rate's already getting quoted. It, it's being quoted uh, starting in the first quarter, uh, toward the end of the first quarter. So you can go and see uh, SOFR quotes right now. And so um, that alternative reference rate committee will be um, monitoring and have the oversight responsibility for the rate. So LIBOR's already started to be phased out in some transactions. Is there sort of a, an ultimate sunset date? When yeah. the data won't be available, that that's right. They're they're anticipating right now um, at the end of twenty one will be is when they'll stop quoting the the, the LIBOR rate. However, um, I, I read today that they may be extending that into twenty twenty three because people just aren't prepared for it. But uh, as it stands right now, um, LIBOR will not be quoted after twelve thirty one of twenty one. Yeah. Well, how many how many times did um you know, did 606 get extended for revenue recognition and 842 for leases? I, I know, Rob, you're going to tell me once they enact a tax law, they're done. Um, we're, we're a lot slower on the accounting side of things. But I fell I asleep while you were it. talking about accounting standards there for five <laughs> seconds. I'm sorry. And as you both know, there's actually, there is an accounting standard. It's um, ASU uh, topic uh, 848 mm-hmm. that addresses uh, rate reform. And so it, it talks about some of the transition issues and how that um, depending on how what rate you lock into, you may lose your hedge accounting status. And so there's a lot of people that are preparing for this transition by inventorying all the different um, instruments that they have that are LIBOR dependent and trying to figure out the strategy of how they can keep the hedge accounting and not have any uh, financial statement impact upon transition. Well, hopefully the FASB can figure out a way to be pragmatic. They've, they've been working on, they seem to be getting better at that over the last few years um, that I found. So, so Bruce, accounting issues aside, what are, what are some of the implications that people should be expecting from this change? Yeah, I think um, from, from a, really you have to look at it from a contractual perspective. And I think uh, that the changes are going to be, might be more collateral, depending on uh, where your rate um, uh, ends up. Uh, it could be, um, it could change again. Uh, you could have some gain or loss in your P&L. I know 
we're, we're, we're trying to talk about some of the other things, but um, I suspect, um, you know, you're, it's going to have some big implications when it comes to just your overall financial structure. If you don't get a handle on, you know, the overall impact that this is going to have on your, your current leveraged, uh, leveraged ability, or if you're a bank, any products that you offer. On it. So let me ask this. Let's say like you're at a loan right now at LIBOR plus 375 basis points. Is kind of the expectation going to be that you're going to be at SOFR plus, you know, 425 basis points and your overall interest rates probably not going to be that much different? Or can we expect big changes in the actual amount of interest that's getting paid? Well, I'll say that you, you may expect a difference. They're trying not to have any difference at all. And mm-hmm. that's why they're having this transition in place. But um Oh, right now, as it stands, the uh, LIBOR has about a, a 20 bips difference, basis point difference um, from SOFR uh, as it stands right now. So uh, if people want to bridge that gap, they're probably going to have to have a derivative product in place in order to, um, to, gap, to gap the difference and to make it equal um, to where their LIBOR rate is. That's about all the time we have for today. Um, I want to thank Bruce for being our guest. Um, Bruce, you, you didn't know this when you signed up, but by being a guest, you do get a complimentary Weaver sticker to add to your back wall, just like Howard has those three on his. Um, everyone, please uh, help the show grow. Visit weaver.com to download this episode. Find us on Spotify. Find us on iTunes. Uh, follow everyone on LinkedIn. Um, Bruce, Howard, and I, we want to thank all of you for joining us, and we especially want to thank Bruce for being our guest today. Thank you, everyone. My pleasure. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Bruce.